And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. <clears throat> Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is June 22nd, 173rd day of the year. 192 days remain till the year's over with. And this is National Kissing Day. National Onion Ring Day. National Pet Choking Prevention Day, Anti-Fascist Struggle Day, um, honors the memories of the late partisan detachment that began Yugoslavia's uprising against the, the Germans, B. Kinder, um, actually it's B. Kinder, uh, Dragon Boat Festival, Lastonbury Festival. Glastonbury is uh, an interesting place. National Chocolate Declared Day. National HVAC Tech Day. National Lemon Solo Day. Positive Media Day. We uh, don't have much of that. Windrush Day. And World Rainforest Day. Okay. In 217 B.C., the Battle of Raphia, Ptolemy IV, fellow patriot of Egypt, defeats Antiochus III, the great of uh, the Seleucid kingdom. 168 B.C., the Battle of Pinda, Romans under Lucius Aemilius Paulus, who defeat Macedonian king Perseus, who surrenders after the battle. That ends the Third Macedonian War. 813 A.D., Battle of Versinicaea. The Bulgars led by Crum defeat the Byzantine army near Iderna. Emperor Michael I is forced to abdicate in favor of Leo V, the Armenian. 910. Hungarians defeat the East Frankish army near the Red Ritz uh, River, killing its leader, Gebhard, Duke of Lotharingia. Uh, 1527. Fatayla expels Portuguese forces from Sunda Calapa, now regarded as the foundation of uh, Jakarta. 1593, the Battle of Sisak. Allied Christian troops defeat the Ottomans. 1633, the Holy Office in Rome forces Galileo Galilei to recant his view the sun, not the earth, is the center of the universe and the form he presented it in. That was after a very heated controversy, I might add. 1774, the British passes the Quebec Act, setting out rules of governance for the colony of Quebec and British North America. 1783, a poisonous cloud caused by the eruption of the Lachy Volcano in Iceland reaches La Havre in France. 1807, in the Chesapeake-Leopold affair, the British warship HMS Leopard um, attacks and boards the American frigate USS Chesapeake. 1813, War of 1812. After learning of American plans for a surprise attack on Beaver Dam in Ontario, Laura Secord sets out on a 30-kilometer journey on foot to warn Lieutenant James Fitzgibbon. 1839. Cherokee leaders Major Ridge, John Ridge, and Elias Boudinot are assassinated for signing the Treaty of New Dakota, which had resulted in the Trail of Tears. 1870. U.S. Department of Justice. <laughs> created by the U.S. Congress. 
1893, the Royal Navy battleship HMS Campertown accidentally rams the British Mediterranean Fleet flagship HMS Victoria, which sinks, taking 358 members of her crew with her, including the fleet's commander, Vice Admiral Sir George Tryon. Uh, 1897, British colonial officers Charles Walter Rand and Lieutenant Charles Egerton Ayrst are assassinated in Pune Mahasarata, India, by the Chepakar brothers and Mahadeo Vinayak Renata, who are later caught and hung. 1898, Spanish-American War. In the chaotic operation, uh, 6,000 men of the U.S. 5th Army Corps began landing at uh, Daiquiri, Cuba, which is about um, 16 miles east of Santiago de Cuba. Lieutenant General Arsenio Linares y Pombo of the Spanish Army outnumbers him 2-1, to one, but he doesn't oppose the landing. 1907, London Underground's uh, Charing Cross, Houston, and Hampstead Railway opens up. 1911, George V and Mary of Tech are crowned King and Queen of the UK, of Great Britain and Ireland. 1911, Mexican Revolution. Government uh, forces bringing an end to the Maganista Rebellion of 1911 and the Second Battle of Tijuana. 1918, the Hammond Circus train wreck kills 86 and Injures 127 near Hammond, Indiana. 1940, World War II, France was forced to sign the second Compagnie Armistice with Germany. The same railroad car in which the Germans signed the armistice uh, in 1918. 1941, World War II, Nazi Germany invades the Soviet Union in Operation Barbarossa. 1942, World War II, Erwin Rommel was promoted to field marshal after the Axis captured Trobruck. 1942, the Pledge of Allegiance is formally adopted by Congress. In the 44 World War II, opening day of the Soviet Union's Operation Bagration against the Army Group Center. That was the Nazis, by the way. In the 44, President Roosevelt signs into law the Service Man's Readjustment Act of 44, commonly known as the GI Bill. In the 45 World War II, the Battle of Okinawa comes to an end. 1948, the ship HMT Empire Windrush brought the first group of 802 West Indian immigrants to Tilbury, marking the start of modern immigration to the UK. And now they're in the process of being overwhelmed. 1948, King George VI formally gives up the title Emperor of India half a year after the British actually give up its rule of India. 1962, Air France Flight 117 crashes on approach to Ponte Pitre International Airport in Guadeloupe. Kills 112. 1965, the Treaty on Basic Relations between Japan and Republic of Korea is signed. 1966, Vietnamese Buddhist activist leader Tish Tri Quang is arrested as the military junta of Nguyen Cao Ki, who crushes the Buddhist uprising. 1969, the Cuyahoga River catches fire in Cleveland, Ohio, drawing national attention to water pollution and spurring the passage of the Queen o Queen. Water Act and the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency. 1978, Sharon, the first of Pluto's satellites to be discovered, is first seen at the United States Naval Observatory by James Christie. 1979, former Liberal Party leader Jeremy Thorpe is acquitted of conspiracy to murder Norman Scott, who'd accused Thorpe of having a relationship with him. 1984, Virgin Atlantic launches with its uh, first flight from London to Newark. 
1986, the famous Hand of God goal scored by Diego Maradona in the quarterfinals of the 1986 FIFA World Cup match between Argentina and England ignites a lot of controversy. This is later followed by the goal of the century. Argentina wins 2-1 to one and later goes on to win the World Cup. The Hand of God goal was a handling goal scored by Argentine footballer Maradona. Uh, the goal was illegal under association football rules because Maradona used his hand to score. But because the referee didn't have a clear view of the play, it stood to give Argentina a one nothing lead. And Maradona scored a second goal, known as the goal of the century, en route to claiming the World Cup. Goal's name derives from Maradona's initial response and whether he scored it illegally, stating it was made a, a little with the head of Maradona and a little with the hand of God. He considered uh, the goal to be symbolic revenge for the UK's victory over Argentina in the Falcons' war four years earlier. Nineteen ninety Cold War checkpoint Charlie's dismantled in Berlin. Two thousand Wuhan Airlines flight three forty three struck by lightning and crashes into Wuhan's Hangan district, killing forty nine. You're having a bad day if an airplane falls on you. 2002, an earthquake measuring 6.5 strikes a region of northwestern Iran, killing at least 261 and injuring 1,300 others, and eventually causing widespread public anger due to the slow official response. 2009, a Washington, D.C. metro train traveling southbound near Fort Totten Station collides into another train waiting to enter the station. Nine people were killed in the collision, eight passengers and a train operator, and at least 80 others are injured. 2012, Paraguayan President Fernando Lugo was removed from office by impeachment, succeeded by Federico Franco. Also in 2012, the Turkish Air Force McDonnell Douglas F-4 Phantom II fighter plane is shot down by the Syrian Armed Forces, killing both of the plane's pilots and worsening already strained relations between Turkey and Syria. In 2015, the Afghan National Assembly building is attacked by gunmen after a suicide bombing. All six of the gunmen are killed, done 18 people are injured. And in 2022, an earthquake occurs in East Afghanistan, results in over a thousand deaths. Okay, we've been talking about the uh, the Kennedy hit list, and this is our fourth segment. And we're going to start out talking more about the murder of Mary Meyer, who was uh, Kennedy's mistress and the wife of a very highly placed CIA agent named Cord Meyer. Um, now, Meyer didn't really believe the uh, suspect and police arrested Ray Crump had murdered his wife. This was a case of uh, arrested for being black. And it turns out the entire case against Crump was uh, an obvious case of hogwash. It was a smear job. Um, I ran into some of that in the state of Georgia when I was told that uh, if a white represented a black, he was a traitor to his race, and that came from a senior judge. Now, the trial was a sham. Rosa uh, Johnson, uh, Lyndon Johnson, uh, used his influence uh, to try to get the man convicted. 
And of course, um, a major issue, the elephant in the room, so to speak, was the fact she kept a diary that discussed all the evidence she had found that, in fact, Kennedy wasn't killed by Oswald. Well, the diary could, the diary could not be found, even though uh, James Angleton, head of counterintelligence, personally searched for it. Um, now, there are a number of points that came out in regard to the assassination, and it was an assassination of Mary Meyer. She was pronounced dead at 2.05 p.m. The doctor observed that rigor mortis hadn't yet set in, which meant she couldn't have been dead for more than two hours at that time. Uh, the identity of the victim wasn't officially learned until about 6 p.m. Uh, prior to that point in time, she was only known as the unidentified female murder victim. It was an open secret as to who she was. She jogged that path every day. And the, kill the killer either knew her or jogged up from behind on the exercise uh, path uh, as if he was going to pass her because both shots were point-blank range, six inches or less. Now, she was a strong uh, woman, good physical shape, wouldn't have let an attacker get that close without screaming for help or fighting him off or maybe even both. <clears throat> the killing is by all reports a professional job. She was actually shot execution style. One shot to the back of the head and one straight through the heart to make sure she's dead. Uh, both were fired from a 38. <coughs> and this was clearly not a casual shooting or a drive-by or something like that. It was a cold-blooded, up-close-and-personal professional hit. Now, Dr. Rayford not only agreed with, but amplified concerns that the act was a professional hit. He noted the presence of a very precise kill shot. He said things were not at all like they were supposed to be. The second shot had been fired with particular precision. Bullet pierced the right lung and severed the aorta. Death would have been instantaneous. And even the doctor said the degree of expertise demonstrated by that second shot suggested it was the work of a professional. And the fact she was murdered when leaving her home for a regular exercise routine also indicated a, it was a professional hit because professional assassins seize upon just such a routine as the most opportune time to strike. Now, the gun was never found despite a massive police search, which is another sign it was a professional hit. Uh, the search was unprecedented in its scope and manpower and even used a team of Navy scuba divers in the canal. The fact she was murdered execution style makes it um, highly likely that it was in fact a professional hit. Now this wasn't a matter of a crime of emotion or a robbery or even a rape attempt. It was a cold-blooded killer who knew how to perform the deed seamlessly and without any emotion. Former CIA cleaner uh, later admitted that he'd been instructed by the CIA to, to watch Mary Meyer and then later to assassinate her after he got the, the K contract, which is um, the name given to uh, contracts to terminate targets. His name, officially, was William Mitchell. This was the alias under which he operated.
Now, high-level CIA officer with Star Janie uh, clearly had foreknowledge of the assassination. Ben Bradley uh, made note that Janie called him with the news just after lunch, and Janie also informed counterintelligence chief Angleton well before the victim had even been identified. So it was an apparent effort to close the case very quickly. An innocent man was railroaded into a murder charge by the police and the prosecutor with help from the Washington Post and Ben Bradley of Newsweek, both of whom made it clear the accused had to be guilty and the murder was an open and shut case. And the media, as they're doing right now with President Trump and his indictment, um, they do influence a lot of folks would otherwise be uh, fair and impartial. Now, the forensic evidence was contrary to a motive of robbery or sexual assault. In fact, there was absolutely zero forensic evidence linking the accused to the crime. He was only guilty of two things. He was black, and he was in the vicinity of where the crime took place. And if we're to believe the official version, her diary was destroyed by the CIA, which was in actuality a felony. It's also obstruction of justice in the case of a violent death. And Angleton and Ben Bradley both made no bones about lying about the diary. Angleton and Bradley both even denied the existence of the diary until it was revealed as true by other sources. And then they admitted they'd found the diary, but even then changed their stories about how it was discovered and destroyed in a statement uh, that uh, actually defied uh, credulity. Bradley also said in an interview for a book he hadn't been aware of Mary's affair with Kennedy until news of it came out after her murder. And her blood-stained sweater also vanished while in police custody, which, of course, uh, alleviated the possibility of advanced DNA testing. Now, the case, even today, is still officially listed as an unsolved murder. And it had quite a number of the same components as the Kennedy assassination, a self-contradictory crime scene with a patsy who couldn't possibly have committed the act, a rush to judgment by officials, an obvious cover-up, and an apparent unwillingness on the part of the authorities to actually discover the truth. Now, if you look at the cause of her death in the context of more current revelations, the picture becomes somewhat clearer. There was a deathbed confession by longtime CIA officer E. Howard Hunt, and it's actually quite relevant. He had inside information on the Kennedy assassination and made a deathbed statement regarding the chain of command for the assassination. He said, Lyndon, I'm going to be King Johnson, was the top of the chain. And number two was Court Meyer, Mary uh, Meyer's ex-husband. Now, she was an intelligent woman and certainly nobody's fool when it came to politics. Lyndon Johnson by that time was president and actually covering up the, the links to the assassination. And if Mary put two and two together about her own ex-husband's involvement in a professional hit was by a cleanup crew, made a great deal of sense. 
Now, Mary had access to the highest levels of information from a number of sources. She was a close friend of Bill Walton, a, who was a, another artist. Her friendship with Walton was another link in, to the upper echelon of Washington power circles. He was a special envoy sent to Moscow right after the Kennedy assassination with a message from Robert Kennedy to the Soviet leadership that uh, we know it was a domestic high-level political conspiracy. Well, it doesn't get much higher than the president. Uh, Peter Janey thoroughly proves his points that the highest echelon of the CIA had knowledge of and played a role in the murder of Mary Meyer. And according to Mr. Janey, a woman is well-connected and intelligent as Mary posed some serious problems to the conspirators. She was killed two weeks after the Warren Commission was released. The Warren Commission report, that is. She bought a paperback condensed version of the report the day it was released, started reading it, and she told a number of her friends she was furious. She knew it was a complete whitewash and wasn't worth the paper it was printed on. Told friends she was thinking seriously about coming out and revealing the truth of what she knew. And that would have embarrassed a lot of highly placed people, to include the president. Allegedly, she even confronted Angleton and her former husband, Cord Meyer, about the absurdity of the Warren Commission report. It was clear she knew at this point that certain people within the agency had engineered the assassination. And those who planned on a future in government service uh, certainly had her as a major problem. And she had the, the wherewithal and the access to be able to speak out. Well... There's a great deal of evidence that Mary was killed by the U.S. intelligence community and Mr. Janey's book um, documented the, uh, the facts surrounding the assassination. She also was fairly certain she was under surveillance. She was being stalked and her house was broken into and searched as though somebody's looking for something. And that, of course, had her very upset. And she had indeed done some very serious research regarding how President Kennedy had been assassinated, even obtained solid proof there was substantial involvement in JFK's shooting by CIA-affiliated anti-Castro Cubans and the Mafia. In fact, uh, she even told some friends she positively knew agency-affiliated Cuban exiles and the mafia were responsible for killing John Kennedy. And it established that high-level CIA officials, including his father, definitely pre definite pre-knowledge of Mary's murder. And it was recorded that CIA officer Wistar Janey had informed both CIA officer Cord Meyer and newsman Bill Bradley earlier in the day before she was killed. He actually gave the details of the murder that did take place. In the case of Bill Bradley, he specifically made a note that the call from Janey informing him about Murray's murder came in just after lunch. Now, the estimate from the doctor was she had been killed a little bit after noon. 
So there was no time for any investigation before Janie gave the actual correct information to Ben Bradley, who instead of following up with the public's right to know, went on a witch hunt for that diary. Uh, direct evidence was found about the CIA's internal decision to terminate Mary Meyer. Former killers who'd been in the cleanup business for the CIA have openly talked about it and said it was done exactly how it looks like it was done. That one of their cleaning men nailed her down by the towpath while she was out for her daily jog. And it was because she knew too much she had to die. And, uh, CIA cleanup uh, folks uh, named uh, the assassin with his operational name, William Mitchell. Now, one person who had access to Mary's diary said she made a connection between the Kennedy assassination and the CIA that involved James Angleton. Um... Now, interestingly enough, Mitchell told several people that, in fact, he's the one that killed her on orders of the FBI. And Mitchell was a real professional. Um, he was a member of the Army Special Forces kill teams that operated domestically for the CIA and the National Security Agency. He was contact and identified and revealed some fascinating information as well. He confirmed his name, William Mitchell, was an alias and lives in Virginia under another name. Said his position at the Pentagon in 1964 had been just a light bulb job, a cover for covert intelligence work. And the murder of Mary Meyer had been an operation. He'd been assigned in September 64 to be part of a surveillance team that was monitoring her. And at some point... Order was given to Terminator. She was a threat to national security. Had to be done in a public place. And then made it look like it was a crime of opportunity. Contract was done at the request of the agency's domestic K office in D.C. And it was quite a piece of work. Uh, if anything, Mr. Janey goes too far attempting to Married the highly professional hit on Mary with the exact same type of highly professional operation aimed at JFK. Even Cord Meyer's personal assistant made the comment that her death had all the markings of an in-house rub-out. I mean, quite a number of people besides myself believe the whole scene around Mary's murder was orchestrated by the CIA. Well, the next member of this unique bunch of people on the Kennedy hit list was Lieutenant Commander William Pitzer, U.S. Navy. He died October 29, 1966 of a single gunshot wound to the right temple. Of course, authorities immediately uh, said it was a suicide and nothing to see. Move on. 
Now, he had a prime role in the documentation of records from Kennedy's autopsy. He was reportedly well aware the wounds had been altered. Died a few days before he was to retire from the Navy. And he's looking forward to a high-paying job. Was said to be planning to expose a lot of problems with the Kennedy autopsy. He wasn't suicidal. But everybody that knew him said that. Uh... U.S. Army Special Forces Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Marvin was requested by the CIA to assassinate Pitzer for national security reasons. He was getting close to retirement, and it was his plan that when he retired, was when that information was going to be released to the public. Well, there were quite a number of inconsistencies in his alleged assassination. You know, one of the most amazing facts in all of American history is that after the assassination of President Kennedy, the wounds on his corpse were surgically altered prior to autopsy to fit um, what we used to call the school solution. Now, that's been verified by surgeons who were there at the death scene, both before and after the fact, and there's no question it happened. And in his 2010 uh, examination of every document ever available concerning the Kennedy assassination, Douglas Horn uh, established conclusively that the alteration of the Kennedy's corpse actually took place. And if that's, shall we say, a, a hard thing to swallow, consider it a real-world example of uh, what Sherlock Holmes said. We've eliminated the impossible. Whatever remains, however improbable, has to be the truth. Now, witnesses recall an audible gasp when the head was unwrapped as everyone there was shocked about the sort of damage to the head. More damage than could have been caused by the rifle shots. And an FBI report stating the president's body had been surgically altered. Um... In addition to the tracheotomy prior to the Bethesda autopsy, is available. The FBI report describes the condition of the president's body prior to the beginning of the autopsy, and according to that report, it was ascertained the president's clothing had been removed, and it was apparent that a tracheotomy had been performed as well as surgery to the head area, namely to the top of the skull. Now, there was no reason in attempting to save the president's life to remove the top of his skull. And in addition to the FBI report, there was sworn testimony from FBI Special Agents James Siebert and Frank O'Neill that President Kennedy's corpse was surgically altered prior to the autopsy. That means between the time it left Bethesda, excuse me, at Parkland Hospital, to the time it arrived at Bethesda for the autopsy, someone had access to it and surgically altered it. Now, the FBI agents were present at the uh, Bethesda National Medical Center. Uh, arrived uh, when the body arrived, noted that the, in a field report that the first incision was made at 8.15 p.m. And they also noted on the basis of comments made by one of the doctors that there had already been surgery on the head area. And no such surgery had been performed in Dallas. 
and the evidence itself made it necessary to actually control the autopsy. According to the report, the severe damage done to the president's head, including the massive exit wound at the rear, made it obvious he'd been shot from the front, totally contrary to the government's position and what had been announced. The frontal wound made it obvious at least one shot had been fired at the president from the front, and combined with the known shots from the rear, that meant there had to be a conspiracy. The government's position from day one, from minute one, had been lone nut gunman. And now we have evidence of a conspiracy. So I didn't sit well with the powers that be. Lyndon, I'm going to be King Johnson, made it very clear. Oswald, Oswald, Oswald. Practically at gunpoint, according to some accounts, in a blatant violation of the law, the Secret Service actually kidnapped the president's body from Texas. The Texas authorities at Parkland had uh, full legal jurisdiction and they vehemently protested the seizure and the countermanding of their legal authority in the case. But the Secret Service agents pulled their guns and stole the body on orders of Lyndon, I'm going to be King Johnson. The president's body officially reappeared at the Bethesda Naval Medical Center where it was received for autopsy. But in the interim, a number of witnesses make it clear the wounds had been altered during the trip. By the time Kennedy's body reached Bethesda, it was demonstrably different from the body that left Parkland. At least four dramatic irregularities in the state of the corpse between Bethesda and Bethesda. Number one, when the body of the president left Parkland Hospital, there was what doctors describe as an entry wound in the right forehead and a massive blowout exit wound at the rear. At Bethesda pre-autopsy, the wound at the right forehead was a massive appearing wound, more like an exit wound. Two, doctors said that fully two-thirds of the president's brain was intact and secure in the skull cavity when it left Parkland. And Bethesda, the president's brain was almost completely absent. And what was left of it oozed onto the table because it wasn't secure in the skull cavity. I mean, now you don't have to have much sense to be a politician, but your brain does need to be connected to the brain stem. At Parkland, doctors saw a neat, orderly, um, and clearly delineated entry wound in the front throat, the which they made a standard emergency tracheotomy incision. By the time the body got to Bethesda, the incision in the throat was very much larger. And four, the president's body was put aboard Air Force One in a bronze ceremonial casket. And it has been verified by a number of sources the body arrived at the morgue in a plain shipping casket and that the bronze casket delivered separately was in fact empty. Well, the documentation that supports this is incontrovertible and the testimonies are crystal clear. And, of course, they were easily remembered because it was, after all, the body of the President of the United States. Over 25 witnesses who observed the President's wound in Dallas remember a wound about three inches in diameter in the lower rear of the head. Not one of the Dallas doctors, nurses, or hospital technicians has said otherwise. But when the body arrived, was unwrapped at Bethesda, that wound that had been measured three inches in diameter was a gaping hole measuring five inches to seven inches. Gerald Custer says he was carrying x-rays at a dead president when he saw Miss Kennedy coming in through the front entrance. 
his account combined with that of Dennis David and Ronald Rebentish uh, showed the bronze ceremonial casket which the president arrived in did not contain the president's arrive, uh, body. Dr. Humes, surgeon in charge of the autopsy, is on record admitting that the alteration took place for the official record at the beginning of the official autopsy. He described for the record, which had already been um, taken place on the body of the president, uh, was uh, surgery to the top of the head. Dr. Humes later attempted to withdraw that statement because the powers that be apparently had a fit as soon as they learned that those words had been uttered. Nevertheless, Special Agents uh, Siebert and O'Neill were present in an official capacity and countered that uh, they were absolutely certain they heard Dr. Humes officially state those words. And now, the FBI has about as much credibility left as the Keystone Cops at this point, but still, individual agents do appear to have a great deal of integrity. And one would imagine two FBI agents in their role of the Bureau's official presence at the autopsy of the president are going to be very good at remembering exactly what took place. Brainwell is uh, almost entirely gone. Although Connor noted the skull was nearly devoid of brain tissue and thought the damage was remarkably severe for a bullet wound. He said in most cases we removed the brain for gross anatomy. But he didn't have any brain left. Wasn't anything to remove. Of course, by all medical uh, eyewitness accounts, at least two-thirds of the brain was secure in the skull at the moment that the body left Dallas as doctors watched it being placed in the bronze casket and loaded onto Air Force One heading for Bethesda. And whether the brain had been removed by the time the body arrived at Bethesda, as stated by O'Connor and Custer, or whether it was first removed at the Bethesda autopsy, there's no doubt it had been removed. Subjected to surgery between its departure from Dallas and its arrival at Bethesda. Now, the brain was present in Dallas, and no small amount of gunfire could completely free the brain from its moorings in the skull. There are several nerves and blood vessels that hold the brain in place. These would have had to been severed before the brain could be removed. And at some point, Humes and Boswell must have realized that no bullet could have accomplished that feat as evidenced by Hume's question regarding whether surgery had been performed at Parkland Hospital. And a number of other indications of prior surgery are found in Hume's notes. Well, the level of senior military control of the autopsy has also been well established. People were clearly uh, following orders. After the completion of the autopsy report, Admiral um, Berkeley, the late president's personal physician, requested written confirmation from uh, Dr. Humes that he burned his original notes, which is a highly unusual request. All naval hospital staff who had been involved in the autopsy were called into the commanding officer's office a number of days later and required to sign orders uh, acknowledging their obligation to remain silent about what they'd seen, heard, under penalty of court-martial. I'd like to have seen that court-martial. elements of our government in order to conceal evidence of a crossfire that uh, would have exposed the conspiracy to kill Kennedy, contrived uh, an elaborate, if uh, improvised, cover-up. The autopsists and other medical personnel were cowed by their military superiors into cooperating with the 
plot by fraudulent appeals to their patriotism. They were all assured if they didn't go along with what the powers that be wanted said, they wouldn't have World War III. And there's no question the president's body was tampered with after being removed from the Dallas casket and spirited into Air Force Two, which was the vice president's plane. So the shell game with the caskets was take, took place for a reason. President's wood on the rest of the, of the nation was being deceived by brazen display with an empty coffin that was loaded under Air Force One, flown to D.C., and taken in a motorcade to Bethesda. The body was actually transported there in a shipping casket and brought into the morgue by a group of sailors. A number of witnesses saw the body remove them from a shipping casket. So why the elaborate uh, charade? Number one, they pull guns to steal the body. And then you don't know if it's on Air Force One or Air Force Two. At this point, Dr. Humes performed clandestine surgery on the head to enlarge the head wound to create evidence of a, a parietal exit, and an incision was made to remove evidence of a right forehead entry. Scout and Skull were manipulated to conceal the size and location of the acceptable blowout, and a wound was created to simulate a small entrance wound in the back of the head. They spared no expense to convince the country that the only shot was fired by Oswald. And all this was done prior to the autopsy. Once everything was in place, the official autopsy began. Autopsies were continually interrupted and directed by the military brass who was in the operating room. Photographs and x-rays were taken by the official Bethesda personnel and pictures that apparently didn't conform to the cover-up were deemed missing. Paper trail on these items was falsified as well. Now, let's face it, this was big stuff. There were a lot of felonies committed to go along with the official story. Records concerning the true nature of the autopsy had to be controlled. And there were many contradictions in the publicly available autopsy images. Some of the photographs that were finally released to the public are inconsistent with the x-rays. Neither the photos nor the x-rays agree with what eyewitnesses Doctors and law enforcement professionals described in Dallas or even in Bethesda. And some of the x-rays and photos have been identified as forgeries by experts. Now, there's a, a book called Without a Smoking Gun by Kent Heiner. It um, concisely details the alterations that were done to Kennedy's body and the death of uh, Lieutenant Commander Pitzer and the testimony of Army Special Forces Lieutenant Colonel Dan Marvin, who was asked to assassinate Pitzer by the CIA, all in the name of national security, don't you know? Well, CIA veteran John Stockwell's investigation also confirmed uh, claims of a wound alteration on the corpse of President Kennedy. He said very clearly the, cor the evidence was conclusively, extensively tampered with, the president's body was altered. The photographs of the autopsy were altered. And over 100 witnesses were killed or died in mysterious and violent deaths. When learning exactly why the alteration took place is a matter of obvious importance. Commander Pitzer was at the part of, heart of that issue, and the manner of his death is front and center in any discussion of it. 
Now, Pitzer was an X-ray technician that filmed the Kennedy autopsy. And he told friends that after the autopsy, he was debriefed by persons unknown from the intelligence community who threatened and intimidated him to remain silent about what he had seen. He told friends that this experience was horrifying and stated he was visited periodically by military personnel to, to remind him repeatedly never to reveal what he saw while taking those pictures. Now, there's evidentiary inconsistencies in the national security assassination of Lieutenant Commander Pitzer. Paraffin tested uh, negative for gunshot residue, which indicated he hadn't fired a weapon. If he'd committed suicide, then GSR would have been all over him, especially on the firing hand. And both his right palm and the back of his right hand tested negative. The absence of nitrate indicating no exposure to gunpowder. And the government withheld the release of the autopsy report to the Pitzel family for a number of years till they were finally forced to reveal its contents. Paraffin test of, uh, was a major thing they wanted to cover up. The paraffin test conducted by the FBI also revealed that revolver was held at a different distance of three feet from the victim. And GSR testing showed that obvious gunshot residue would otherwise they'd be present on the right temple. And that's a strong indication of a murder because a suicide quite obviously wouldn't be at such a distance. And FBI files that weren't released till 1997 through a request under the Freedom of Information Act reveal strong indications that Pitzer was murdered. The autopsy of his body revealed three wounds an entry wound, an exit wound, and an additional wound not related to the gunshot to his head. FBI was able to locate any record of Pitzer acquiring live ammunition for the revolver that was signed out from the security office in his name. A heel print obtained from near his corpse was not from the shoes he was wearing, an indication that somebody else was in the room with him when he was shot. And even those who were skeptical about conclusions of assassination have examined the evidence in this particular case and come to the inescapable conclusion that the physical evidence is inconsistent with suicide and indicates homicide. According to his wife, William Pitzer was an inveterate note maker, and that was evident when his body was discovered. Sheets of paper were scattered around bearing the names of colleagues, even those were redacted from the foyer release photo uh, copies. Two messages were to be conveyed, written with a blue crayon-type pencil found on a chair near the body. So if he took his own life, we have to deduce that in his final hours and minutes he jotted down work-related items and so he wouldn't forget them. But he didn't take a few seconds to explain why he shot himself. And he left a note in his office to remind himself to return the revolver had been signed out from the security office. That note was found on an assistant's desk, and it said, uh, remind me to return the gun to the security office. So I would have to point out that a man who was planning to shoot himself would obviously not be planning to return the revolver to the security office. And in fact, it wouldn't be necessary to return it. He'd been warned repeatedly by some extremely serious military personnel that he was never to reveal what he'd seen during the autopsy of President Kennedy. After his death, his wife was threatened with losing her benefits if she didn't cooperate with the official version of events. She was told very clearly by senior officers to keep her mouth shut. 
And in addition, withholding the autopsy report from the family and, frankly, everybody else, the government would not even give Miss Pitts or her husband's wedding ring and even lied about the reason. They said his uh, left hand had been too mangled from the shooting. Which is a complete and utter farce. When Ms. Pitzer requested return of her husband's wedding band, she was informed his left hand was so mutilated her move with the ring was impossible. She never did get it. But the autopsy report states there were no wounds on the body other than those to the head. So why did the Navy apparently lie to a grieving widow and deny her very reasonable request for the return of the wedding ring? Now, it's not clear whether Pitzer had an actual film he had made of the Kennedy autopsy or had copies of professional photographs he had taken of the autopsy. Testimony from others varying, of course, he can't tell. But it, what is clear is that the, he possessed solid documentation of the altered JFK evidence he knew how to interpret that evidence, and he apparently planned on divulging it in documentary form after his upcoming retirement. Now, Special Forces Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Marvin, a decorated war hero, has testified and written extensively about how he was requested by the FBI to actually assassinate Lieutenant Commander Pitzer. Marvin had nothing to gain by making these assertions and a lot to lose. But he was a man of high character and loyalty, and nobody's been able to refute his account. Friends are all in accordance that Pitzer had a tough, can-do personality. He was a type to weather any storm and meet life's challenges head-on. He would not for the easy way out by committing suicide. And nobody told the government that Pitzer was suicidal. That was made up by uh, investigating officers. As stated in the inter informal Board of Investigations report, Ms. Pitzer could offer no explanation as to why the subject would take his own life, and although appearing somewhat resigned to the fact she still exhibited doubt suicide was the true cause of death. Now, he was vocally looking forward to his upcoming retirement, which was only days away. He was excited about transitioning into a creative and high-paying job where he could utilize his expertise. He's going to teach educational TV. He's quite enthusiastic about it. Well, his family and friends believed he had been murdered at, and that he had no reason to commit suicide and had been badly frightened by repeated threats because of what he knew. And government agencies searched high and low for anything that could imply that Pitzer was depressed. All they could come up with was an old letter and some vague notes. The letter stated he was having trouble at home, but that was apparently in reference to his rocky marriage and he was handling that clearly he wasn't suicidal over it so if you look at all of Pitzer's actions on his final day as a timeline to discern his frame of mind they're dramatically opposite to a troubled person contemplating suicide quite the contrary his final day was typical even mundane he was described as being very cheerful made breakfast raked leaves got a haircut shopped at the store checked things in his office and then, if you believed investigators, shot himself in the head. Well, most believe this was another national security assassination linked directly to the Kennedy assassination. And it is one of the clearest cases of national security assassination in history. 
He's clearly murdered. His assassination was clearly a result of his knowledge about the Kennedy autopsy materials. Well, now we've still got a long list of other deaths affiliated with uh, the Kennedy assassination. But at this point in time, we're going to, uh, well, we'll do one more. Manuel Rodriguez Casada, October 1964. Gilberto Rodriguez Hernandez, September 1964. Dead of gunshots, both are unsolved murders. Both heavily involved in gun-running operations as well as high-level anti-Castro operations, which meant they were affiliated with the CIA. Well, the fact that they were murdered and their affiliations with the gun-running and anti-Castro operations makes it very clear um, this was not your average murder. Manuel Rodriguez Casado was a bodyguard for Rolando Masfera, who was an exile resident in one of the most powerful anti-Castro Cuban groups. Rodriguez Casada apparently smuggled weapons, performed other activities for these same groups as well. Gilberto Rodriguez Hernandez was military coordinator. To the same Cuban government in exile group. And many of the the entries on this list, uh, Carlo Priel Socaras, Rolando uh, Masfera, and Eladio de Valle are all linked to the violent anti-Castro groups active at that point in time, almost all affiliated with the CIA in one way or another. It should be remembered that Eladio de Valle was an associate of David Ferry, and Guy Bannister was murdered within hours of Ferry's own death. When we get to the ferry uh, information, it's going to be eye-opening. Now, Manuel Rodriguez Casada and Gilberto Rodriguez Hernandez both had inside information on the setting up of the JFK killing in Dallas, and both of them were assassinated. Uh, professional U.S. intelligence assassin John O'Hare admitted he committed both of the assassinations. Now, it's interesting, almost nobody knows who these two were, let alone what happened to them. Now, it was Cuban exile source, uh, sources and those who worked with him who said that John O'Hare uh, was one of the most dangerous men alive. Robert Morrow was a veteran CIA contract agent, later an author, and he knew his way around the anti-Castro intelligence terrain quite well. O'Hare, described as a CIA mercenary and assassin by Robert Morrow and first-hand knowledge, admitted tomorrow he killed both Casada and Hernandez. They're supposedly eliminated as a result of Elano de Valle's fear they would expose the identities of those responsible for the assassination of Kennedy to the authorities. Well, on that note, we are going to end today's show. Having served this country for a good many years myself, um, it's very disheartening to find out just how um, government resources were used to cover up murders and things along that nature. Well, until tomorrow at this time, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly 
great evening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.